Richards Bowie Versus Tillian Is this year when I'm glowy Am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy Or a villain It's time for Bowie versus Dillian. Hello and welcome to Davy Jones versus Dylan. I'm Charlie and I like Jones. I'm Jake and I love Bob Dylan. And today uh, is a is a super special year and podcast for me, Jake, because I love Dylan. And it's a it's a it's a beginnings episode for Chaz, who loves Davy Jones, nay, David Bowie, and that's because no, we're doing, nay, no? Nay, nay, David Jones, nay oh. means birth at oh. birth. Oh, oh, I'm birth. sorry, I'm sorry. Thank Born. you, thank you, Professor. You're welcome. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Anytime. Uh, last episode. I am a teacher by trade, Jake. That's right. That's right. Thank you for correcting me. Let's not me. forget. I really needed that. I'll go sit in the corner if that's okay with you. <laughs> if every, you know, there are always learning opportunities all around. Us, <laughs> that's right. You're never too old to learn also. It's a reading Even rainbow. Even when you're as old as you, Jake. <laughs> Even when you're almost 40. You know, uh, <laughs> welcome to an episode of Reading Rainbow with Professor Charlie. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, sharp-eared listeners will notice that last episode we did the year 1977, and that was what Charlie believed believes is David Bowie's best year, and it was. Oh boy, Whoa, it was great. Points it was a wise, wild ride. It was you know, acclaim wise, etc. This time we're doing Bob Dylan's latest year, uh, best year. And Chaz, I know you know the answer, but why don't you pretend like you're guessing? Because there's only a couple years uh, left in the whole thing. Is it? 1977? It is not. That was oh. that was Dylan's lowest point ever. But no, thanks That's for playing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> lowest personal point. It was not his lowest points point. <laughs> no, that's because he didn't do anything. Zero is exactly. better than negative whatever his worst was. I can't remember. Right. Anyway, uh, you want to just say the year or you're just going to keep pretending like you don't know it? Well, you told me to pretend that I didn't know it. So that's well, what I, I, I told you to pretend to guess. There's a difference. Oh, uh, 1965? Yes, that is correct! Okay, good. Dylan, Dylan's best year point-wise, uh, probably artistically just for the array and variety of things he did as well. Uh, my favorite year by him is 1966 because it contains the album Blonde on Blonde. But you can't argue with 65. But first, we have to argue with what Davy Jones was doing in 1965. Oh, baby. Why don't you regale us, Jazz? I will! Hey, let's start by recognizing that Davy Jones was Bowie's name in 1965. <laughs> <His> <laughs> it was only given... two years of this. He was not yet David Bowie. David Bo- Bowie is a stage name. Yeah. Uh, his legal name through his entire life was David Jones. He never like legally changed his name or anything. Um, but oh, we're, we're coming across, come to Bowie at a really early time, at a Jones at an early time. He's, uh, he's 18 through Ooh. most of 1965. Young, he's hungry, Jake. So hungry. Hale and hearty. Trying to make it. Yeah. Uh, he graduated from high school in like at like sixteen or something because that was the thing that happened in in the Britain in the sixties. It wasn't like he, you know, was a super genius or something. That didn't happen. So he was just like bumming around, working odd jobs, being in bands, trying to make it. 
So he's got two main bands in 1965. The first one is the Manish Boys. Yes. Which is a bad name, but that's okay. Well, it's also... After a Muddy yeah. Waters song? Uh-huh. Muddy Waters? Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> they just sang every Muddy Waters song, I'm pretty well, sure. Well, that's right? Manish Boy, though. That's the one. Uh-huh. It's the one that okay. you said right. it was. Just, just saying. Just saying. <laughs> so the Manish Boys, Bowie is still in his R&B Stones mode. He released one single in 1964 uh, with a different band, and I don't remember what it was. King Bees, maybe? Can't remember. Doesn't He's in matter. so <laughs> many bands the first few years of his oh, life. Sure. I can't keep this right. We did joking about that last time. We did. Uh, the Manish Boys didn't last very long. He kind of brought this R&B sound to them. They were listening to a lot of James Brown live at the Apollo, which, ironically, I listened to earlier today. That's amazing. Uh, it's good. It's a good album. It's good. It's great. It's good. It's great. It's real good. It's great. Uh, anyway, they didn't last very long. So after the Manish Boys, he switched over to found another band, the Lower Third. In both cases, these were bands like that already existed. That were looking for you know a new lead singer, a new person, and he kind of came in and uh, and did that for them. So the lower third, he switches over to more of a mod look and sound. Uh, last with the lower third, that lasted a little bit longer. Lasted a little bit into 1966. Um, lower third did a lot of you know gigging, just straight gigging around London, and was described as the second loudest band in London oh. after after of course the Who. The Who were the, the loudest. Second loudest. <laughs> second loudest band in London after the Who. I that's mean, that's like, not bad. Uh, if you're if you're to come in second place to the Who, that's that's not bad. That's you know? like uh, that's, that's like to be ashamed Lisa, Lisa Simpson and Bleeding Gum Murphy's band in The Simpsons. The uh, the the was the the second place. What what were they? The second best musicians or something? Oh, I don't they went on tour that. and everyone booed her, booed them, and she was like, "Why would everyone come to our concert just to boo us?" <laughs> good question right bob dylan will answer that later for you (laughs) (laughs) uh so 1965 notably probably the most notable event of the entire year is that in late 65 bowie changed his name to bowie professional i know this is like uh november ish uh, there have been multiple stories as to why he might have changed it. The most common one, the most likely one, is he was trying to avoid confusion with Davy Jones of the Monkees. Yes. Good call. They were very famous. Yeah. <laughs> they were very famous then. Yeah. And, you know, he was also, and he was going by Davy Jones, too. Like, he wasn't, you know, like, that was how he was, uh, that's right. How he's being publicized. One of his singles is credited to Davy Jones and the Lower Third. Wow. Uh, but he changed it over to Bowie. He took Bowie in reference to the Bowie knife, oh. which uh, is named after Jim Bowie, oh. who spelled the same, but is pronounced Bowie. Is... I think the spelling is supposed to be a Bowie knife also, but he is not Bowie. He is Bowie. Bowie. All kinds of confusion Here there. Heretofore known as Bowie. <laughs> so not a lot else to talk about. He uh, he did a lot of shows, but they didn't really get anywhere. Tried some stuff, failed. My name? Um, managed to release one single with each of his two bands. But, Jake, oh. I want you to know something. I found two new-ish Bowie and Dylan connections, both of them intimately involved with 1965. Wow. That I did not know about previously. Whoa. One of them I didn't know about at all. One of them we, like kind of skirted across during an episode I remembered later and then I never managed to explore it because I forgot about it but now I remember it so the first one is a guy by the name of Kenneth Pitt mm-hmm. Pitt was Bowie's manager from 1967 to 1970 he was very important in helping Bowie get started um, and a really important guy to early Bowie's career but he was also 
Bob Dylan's British publicist from 1964 to 1966. What? No way. Yeah, yeah I know. That's just in Britain. Something. Just just in Britain. Well, Only in Britain. Dylan was big in Britain, so that was, a, he was. That's, that's a real connection. That's something. He was also one of, I mean, maybe, multiple, I don't know. Uh, Bowie tried to get him as his manager in, for the lower third in 1965, but Pitt turned him down at the time because um, he was too busy with other other acts. But he was sure he, he suggested was. that he suggested that Jones change his name. Okay, to, to avoid confusion with the monkeys guy from the monkeys. So yeah, that's a good call. It really it is. is. Yeah, it's a good call. Yeah. Next connection is Dana Gillespie, and this one's much more interesting. Now okay. you mentioned Dana Gillespie, yes. and I probably have too. Yes. She's a long. She's still alive. She's a long-standing blues musician. She's released like sixty albums or something. So sure. a whole bunch right. of blues yeah, albums. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. well respected, yeah. well known. Um, but she definitely dated both Bowie and Dylan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know there was a lot of different information going different <laughs> ways. This is getting sorted. But I can. I, really, can I know it's very sorted. Well, I just can't like. <laughs> There's different dates rolling around. She, it's it's definite for sure. She definitely boated, dated both Bowie and Dylan. This okay. definitely happened. All right. According to some accounts, and and the most, I would say the most reliable ones from what I found, which is there's a wide variety. I think she dated them both in 1965. What? How's that? What? She definitely did. She was definitely dating Bowie in really early 65. And yes, then I found some yeah. stuff saying that she was dating Dylan in late 65. Wow. I know, isn't that well, crazy? Then. Well, Dylan did go to England in 65 yeah. uh, for yeah. part of it, so... I but mean, Bowie and, and Gillespie sounds like they met in late 64. They're both... There's different things, because different things say that, you know, he met her when she was 14, he was 15, which would not be this year. But I found other things saying they met in late 64, like, very definitely at this concert. Like, so I, I don't know for sure. She's like a year younger than Bowie. Like they're, you know, so she was, he was 18, she was 17. I think she turned 18 and 65. So, but this was interesting. So, Jane and Gillespie, wow. there you go. And they, and they remained friends. Bowie and Gillespie remained friends for, they didn't date very long, but they remained friends for many years. And she wrote, he wrote uh, the song Andy Warhol for her originally oh. in 1971. Oh. And helped, and he and Mick Ronson helped produce her, uh, not first album, but like fourth album or fifth album or something. Fifth of six. From, from that came out in seventy three. Well, all right. There you go. Connections abounding. Hey, it's a small world after all. I know. Even after all these years, Jake. <laughs> oh, this is our sixty fourth anniversary. What 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 year is this? Sixty two. It's our sixty second anniversary. Sixty second anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And okay. with that, Jake, we'll move into the year and hair, and then send things on over wow. to you. Okay. I'm ready. So I, I got I there's a little bit of a story to go with the year and hair because he's got two very distinct hairstyles to go with his two distinct bands. Oh sure. During the R and B time of the Manish Boys, his hair is really long. I mean, by standards at the time, like there's all kinds of anecdotes about you know him being called a poof and all kinds of other horrible <laughs> sure, you know sure, derogatory sure. terms and you yeah, know people yeah. say this is like the collapse of, collapse of Christendom and stuff. I mean, not. I don't think I'm even exaggerating. Like how outrageous and how up in arms people were getting about men with long hair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, way, way too much, it turns out. Way too much. <laughs> um, if you'll remember, he his first, very first TV appearance was in 1964 as part, as the leader of the uh, Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Men with Long Hair. That's right. Like, that's really right. ridiculous. Uh, it's, oh, it's so good. It's that's so good. good. That's a great good. clip. 
Uh, it was kind of considered a little bit because he, with the Managed Boys, were supposed to appear on the BBC. And then the BBC said he had to cut his hair if he was going to come on. And um, the, their fans, the Managed Boys' small but, you know, rabid fan base got mad about this and started picketing the BBC <laughs> with sides of said, and they were chanting, be fair to long hair! Be fair to long hair! Be fair to long hair! So, for like a week, Bowie and the Manish Boys were getting, well, Jones still, were getting a whole bunch of press because of this ridiculous thing happening out with happening with the BBC. In the end, Bowie did cut his hair anyway, and they appeared on the BBC, and nobody wow. cared about their single. But for a week, like, he was out there, baby. Um, it sounds he like... He was uh, loving it. <laughs> I was reading all about this in Complete David Bowie, which is uh, by Nicholas Pegg, which is my, you know, my number one go-to Bowie stars. That's true. That's and true. Uh, he he very much is convinced, and I, from what he is saying, I, I'm right there with him, that the uh, the host of the show was right along with us the whole time that they or the BBC itself, or you know, at least the host of the show organized this whole thing and the picketing and everything, like just to make a big deal about it and to uh, increase ratings. But it sounds fun. Anyway, he cut it for the show. He ended up cutting it later on into a pretty standard that mod bowl cut, you know, like early Beatles style, you know. You know the mod cut. It was you know, yeah. it's like standard it's very, issue. You know, it's, it's, mod, it's a uni- you know? it's uniform. You know, I it's mean, mod. it's you know, yeah. if you're gonna be mod, this is what you gotta do. Yeah, I mean, it's the mod. And so it wasn't wasn't mod. nearly as long anymore. Yeah, no. okay. But, uh, so. It's you know both the early hairstyle is pretty ridiculous because he's still it's, like it's got cut <laughs> like into bangs at the front, at the top and it's yeah. it's pretty awful looking actually. Yeah, that's the, I'm gonna give that one a one point five. The second one, him, him in a in a mod cut, especially as he's super young, looking sharp, you know, skinny tie, skinny, you know, oh yeah, you know, look very mod, looking good. He was very mod for lower lower third. <laughs> Modish boy, that was boy. solid. We should call him modest uh, boy. We give that one a, a four. Wow, four. Yeah, it's a good. Okay. It's a good look for for a very young uh, uh, David. His his R and B cut sounds very much like Brian Jones from uh, the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's probably he's probably like the the white guy originator of that. Yeah. of that. And then everyone's like, I like the Rolling Stones. They're cool with me. Hey, they're cool. Let's get hey. that. Let's get that haircut. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Beals were like just nicely dressed, matched costumes, young men. I know. Well, and just they tearing really, down. They weren't really mod, but they were kind of mod, you know. At the same time, like yeah, they're just. Their hair was longer than their ears. That's outrageous. You can't do that. Yeah, but the mods, I mean, they had that, like, the suits and the haircuts and stuff. That's all, like, that's all kind of mod stuff. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Sure. Well, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I mean, our band is called Modish Boy. I don't know. If that that clues you in as to our our Mm -hmm. knowledge about mods, I think it's pretty (laughs) high. I think we're good. It's called called Oh My Mod. (laughs) Oh My Mod. In Mod We Trust. (laughs) Mod is my my (laughs) co-pilot. Hey, new podcast idea. Mod is my co-pilot. And an exploration of mod hairstyles. In Mod We Trust. I'm I'm going, I'm going for In Mod We Trust. I like that word better. Then you lose out on a, a modcast part partner because I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, we, okay. We were, can I think we both agree we should be called the Modcast. The Modcast. All right, fine. Fine. Come on. Come on back in. Come on back. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. I'm glad we stopped. I'm glad we got over that. We're going to just almost destroyed our I know. Podcast. I know. We're almost done with this podcast series, and we almost just had it out, finally. <laughs> we went and made it through the last two and a half episodes. No. No, it's over. <laughs> it was almost over. But now it's back. All right, Jake. This was a bland. Yeah. Uh, young man trying yeah. to make his way and not succeeding. Absolutely. Let's talk about a a young man who did find his way and was succeeding. <laughs> Boy, was he succeeding. Um, I don't know. You know, I, His I, name was Brian Jones. His name was <laughs> his, his name was the Rolling Stones members. <laughs> or the Beatles. And also the Who. <laughs> also the Who. Uh, there were some other famous guys. Otis Redding, I think. He could throw him in there. Uh, but also... Bob Dylan, 1965, his most crazy year. In in 66, he crashes the motorbike, ending what would have been his most crazy year. 64 was still crazy, but his his fame was still rising. Um, As dawn broke in 1965, Bob Dylan was the biggest folk musician star in the world. And possibly, Take that, most, John Baez. and possibly the most respected <laughs> and revered at the same time. Bob Dylan would not turn 24 years old until May 24th of that year. He was an international <laughs> superstar leading a new musical movement, supposedly leading uh, one of the star- bright stars of the civil rights movement, um, despite the fact that he had kind of moved on from doing that, uncomfortable with the attention he was getting for that, um, mm-hmm. or maybe the attention should have gone to the actual leaders of um, actual protests, stuff like that. <laughs> but um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into what, what Dylan did here. This, there's a very nice uh, through line to this year. Um, there's kind of a beginning, there's a very definite middle, and then, and then there's the end. Um, spoiler alert, he ends the year... Regale us, Jake. I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Spoiler alert, he, he starts the year as the biggest folk star in the world, and he ends the year as one of the biggest rock stars in the world, all in the span mm-hmm. of 12 short months. This is definitely one of those years where they know what Bob Dylan was doing every single minute. They know where he yeah. was. They know who he was with. They know who, you know, who he was uh, snotty with, who he liked, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it all starts in January when he goes on a joint tour with Joan Baez herself. You mentioned her. They went from uh, from January to April in England. Um, These were solo and acoustic shows. Um, He was uh, he was doing that jointly with Joan Baez. Um, Unfortunately, um, as those as those gained steam, um, he did. Oh no! I'm sorry. That was in America. No. Dang it. I'm already screwing this up, Chaz. Oh, man. That was America. I'm sorry. That was America. He goes to England uh, on April 30th through May 10th of 1965, and he does an England tour, his last ever that he played solo and acoustic. Um, And he was supporting an album, which we'll talk about in just a second, called Bringing It All Back Home. Yeah, I think I heard of that one. Joan Baez came with on this, but he never invited her on stage. And this was because the, he's this, Bob Dylan. This was the breakup. Good. This is the infamous uh, Bob Joni 
breakup. He's moving past all this stuff. He was getting supremely sick and bored with himself. He uh, he told he started telling people that he was going to quit music altogether. He just had it. He didn't like the type of attention he was getting. He didn't like. I mean, frankly, he didn't like how like revered he was and how people were sort of hanging on his every word. You would think you would think a person would appreciate that, but it was getting it was getting a little a little out of control. Um, this is when he was still the hero of folk music everywhere. Um, he sold out in England the De Montfort Hall. Have you heard of that in like in Leicester? No. It's some historic hall or something. It only has a few thousand seats, but it's very hoity-toity. Anyway, he's the only other act besides the Beatles to sell it out in the 1960s. And there are some, there's some pretty fun Beatles-Dylan connections going on here. Of course, in 1964, yeah. uh, Dylan introduces that they have kind of a tete-a-tete with Allen Ginsberg hanging around. And they... Uh, <laughs> Dylan, As he does. Dylan got <laughs> Ginsburg drunk. is constantly just hanging around on the like, background the of different, of different pop best. positions. Yeah, he's just he's just bringing people together, you know. Uh, yeah. And uh, and Dylan gave them marijuana. They each had their own joint. I think we talked about this recently. Dylan yeah. drank so much wine that he passed out for the entire meeting. <laughs> oh, baby. So anyway, but then it kind of continues into some of their albums and such, too. Um, he releases the album, Bringing It All Back Home. Boom! March 22nd. Ever heard of it? The, the date, March 22nd? Yes. Yes, I, I, I've heard of that date, yes. Do you, does I anything confirm. else important happen on that date? It's the week before my oldest son's birthday. That's it. You nailed it. It is also uh, yep. the release date of the 1965 Bob Dylan album, Bringing It All Back Home. Uh, It is the first top ten album that he ever had in the U.S. Um, It went number six in the U.S. It went number one in the U.K. Bob Dylan's fifth studio album. um, In a kind of reversal and a spoiler alert for how his concerts would end up, the first half is, you know, kind of quote-unquote electric, and the second half is largely acoustic. And he put that electric electric part out there on purpose – to kind of as a statement of purpose, he he uh, yeah he starts it off with Subterranean Homesick Blues, one of his uh, most famous songs. Classic. Uh, Johnny's in the basement mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement thinking about the government. As one does. As one does. Um, he he got he got pretty obsessed with uh, the electric blues. So Muddy Waters, some of the same stuff that uh, that old that old Bowie was doing over there in England. I'm uh, trying to. Yeah, try. <laughs> well, try it. <laughs> Jones. Jones. Jones, sorry. Uh, Jones. <laughs> Bowie May Jones. Did I get it right? Yeah. Boom. So that's Bowie, not Bowie. Uh, it's Bowie. That's what I said. Yeah. I said Bowie. It's Bowie. No. Bo- okay. <laughs> uh, uh, Bo Diddley, Muddy Waters, all that stuff. And so he wanted to, he wanted to be a blues singer now instead of a folk singer. So, and it's a gimmick that definitely, that definitely broke him from his, uh, from his folky peers. Like immediately it was like, this is way different than what, than what he had been doing in 1964 and way different than a lot of people had heard from, from, from anybody, um, you know, especially in his position. And so, uh, uh, the song Maggie's farm declares as a, as a metaphor declares his independence from the protest folk movement. He ain't gonna work which, Bowie, on, which Bowie covered with Tin Machine. He ain't gonna 
a great cover, by the way. Is that a good one? <laughs> oh, don't say that, Jake. <laughs> don't humor me. <laughs> <laughs> Not even you would cop to that. Uh, he didn't go to work for Maggie's Farm no more, man. It also includes Mr. Tambourine Man, which is probably like... It's probably his first, like, best song that he wrote with an original melody. Okay. So he had, he'd cribbed... As Not does, traditional. As he does now, uh, he cribbed, you know, even, even Blowing in the Wind is some old Scottish folk melody or something like that. <laughs> but he wrote Mr. Tambourine Man with an original melody, and of course that's a very famous song too. Um, that was inspired by Bruce Langhorne's uh, Wagon Wheel Size Tambourine. It's actually about a green, big green tambourine or something like that. Uh, <laughs> it's a surrealist work. That moved him out of the boundaries of folk once and for all. He just busted out of there. Once and for all. Until once. he comes back to the folk album next album. <laughs> no. Because no one's <laughs> expecting it now. Nobody's expecting no. it now. No. Hot on the trail of his best album in however many years. <laughs> time, to, time to write some protest songs, everybody. It's got It's All Right, Ma, I'm Only Bleeding. It's got It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. It's a real banger. It was recorded in two days. And he did that. And he, he released two that. Two days? Whoa. Two days, apparently. Sorry, yeah. I wasn't listening that closely, and all of a sudden you just <laughs> dropped that bomb. I was, like, you know, wait, I was, wait, wait, whoa, come back. I was waiting. I didn't, I wasn't, like, that wasn't you really. Do you, know the electric, do you know the electric songs in one day and the acoustic ones in the next day? I don't think so. I think it was all kind of mixed up. Oh. I don't know though. That's a good. That's Did a you do the acoustic question. songs when like the band was taking a bathroom break? Yeah, yeah. And he wrote them while they were in the bathroom. And then, hey guys, go get some lunch. <laughs> he take five. <laughs> <laughs> now while they were in the bathroom, he wrote them, and then when they were washing their hands, he recorded them. <laughs> <laughs> a genius, a genius he is. All right, so he wraps up this uh, his last solo and acoustic tour ever on May tenth. And then he heads himself down to a little place called the Newport Folk Festival, Chaz. Oh, I've been waiting the entire length yes. of the podcast. Yes, we have been waiting three, sixty-two you, episodes. You point to me when it's time, okay? I'm <laughs> well, like ready. Now, I'm, nobody, I've been warming up. Uh, spoiler alert, though, nobody screamed Judas at him. Um, now, wait, wasn't that this? No, that's that's the uh, that's the um, Royal Albert Hall concert. That's not the Royal Albert Hall concert. That's the Manchester Free Trade in 1966. Why am I so convinced this is the Newport? Oh man! No, this is when this is when metaphorically everyone thought he was Judas, but no one specifically oh. screamed the word Judas okay. at him. So let me know when I should whisper Judas, as if it was like popping into my. No, here's brain what you need to do. Here's everyone's. what you need to do. Uh, you you get you get prepared for this little BVD theaters here. So you're gonna play Pete Seeger, um, the, okay. the the old guard folky, you know. Yeah, um, can one do of, one of the original ones. Okay, so that's you. Yep. You're, you're rail thin. You're a little older. Uh, yeah, I got you a play, beard. You play yep. banjo. Uh, you sing "We Shall yep. Overcome" every once in a while. <laughs> now, slower. Slow it down. Slow it down. Slow it down. Yeah. We okay. shall overcome. <laughs> So you should yep, be singing. Okay. Uh, okay, and then when you when when I get to the part w uh, where where Bob Dylan does this thing that outraged the entire world, you are going to pretend uh -huh. to grab an axe and go cut the electric wires to stop all the racket that's about to happen. Whoa! Yep. That happened? No, it's it's uh, it's apocryphal. But 
That's that's <laughs> what everyone thinks. That that's what everyone thinks happened, and it's that's okay. like the prevailing story of the entire thing. All right, okay. so Bob Dylan swaggers into the old Newport Folk Festival. He was an absolute. His first superstar moment, at least in the folk, uh, the folk world, was at the at the same festival in 1963. This was his arrival. This is he played with Mavis Staples and Joan Baez, you know, debuted all these great songs, including uh, including "Blowing in the Wind" and stuff like that. He shows up in 1964, uh, you know, still a superstar of the folk movement, but he he doesn't want to be anymore. So he smokes like a tremendous amount of grass. And gets yep. and gets you know kind of kind of goofy and his his performances are, you know a little a little off you know kilter they're not they're not yep. up to he's not really focusing on it and yeah. he, this is the beginning of him trying to like basically alienate his his fans kind of sure. right around sure. that time but they you won't gotta, they you won't, gotta do that they won't be alienated they refuse <laughs> they refuse alienation <laughs> altogether they're like well right, guys still. Write another yeah. folk song. <laughs> uh, so anyway, he shows up. He shows up in '65. Um, he's he's going to do a he's going to do an acoustic set. Um, that's what he's been touring with. Um, but he gets a little irked by some comments by some of the old lefty folky guard uh, about the Paul Butterfield Blues Band, who was there also at the Newport Folk Festival, and they were a live rockin' blues band. Um, and so he decided on a total whim to do his concert with members of the Paul Butterfield Blues Band, including okay. Mike, Mike Bloomfield, who I've mentioned as one of his, his, uh, his best collaborators. This absolute okay. white-hot guitarist, just a lick machine, electric blues lick machine. I think that was his actual name. Mike Bloomfield. <laughs> Mike <laughs> Electric Mike. Machine. So they they do some they do some uh, you know part of the apocryphal. Wait, I mean, you know, Jake. Go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, go ahead. The real question is: His name is Mike. Mick. Is he enough of a lick machine that we can change his name to Mick? Well, he's one of the he's one of the absolute purveyors of licks in the '60s. Like he's up there with Mick. You know, just technically, not not in our hearts, but like technically, he's up there. He probably was an inspiration of Mick Ronson's. He probably was. To be yeah. honest with you, he was an at, he was like kind of a guitar superstar, you know, along the lines okay. of he didn't have the whole package like Jimi Hendrix or anything like that, but he was like known for the hot lick. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Mick, it is Mick Bloomfield. All right. So yeah, we're okay. Yeah. We're He's Mick. very American. In honor. That does In honor of how great he is. Absolutely. Rest in peace, Mix. He's dead too, actually. Mick Bloomfield. Oh, all the all the good Mix are gone. <laughs> all good Mix die young. I think Mick Rock is still around, actually. Yeah, I think he is. He's a good. I'm pretty Mick. sure. We like that Mick. Um, they did, you know, part of the apocryphal thing is they just went out here and nobody knew what was going to happen, and this un this unholy shrieking of electric music came flying out of the stage, and everyone was like, ah, and their hair was like blown. <laughs> Their hair was blown back, and it was like that guy in that Max Maxell uh, cassette tape commercial. It's just like, ah! <laughs> and like demons were coming I'm out picturing, of the uh, I'm picturing Back to the Future right now. Yes. Oh, that's good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and like demons and demonic spirits are flying out of the guitars. <laughs> it's just like, ah! What is happening? It's the seventh circle of hell. Ah! <laughs> uh, the truth of the matter is that uh, they had they had rehearsed. They did, you know, Dylan got them all together to rehearse the night before. Of course, they were too loud for one of the actual acts playing, so they had to kind of shut it down. 
But they come back, like, <laughs> Dylan, you know, I don't think that he had any clue that this was going to cause such an uproar. He was just, he was used to doing whatever he wanted to do, and he was yeah. moving so fast, and no one seemed to care about any of the stuff that he was changing. He had already released the album that was electric, that had been out. It was a, it was a top ten hit. Yeah. So he he goes out there and they play and uh, and and a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of like a riot ensues basically. So uh, here's a little quick multiple choice question for you, um, Chaz. Uh, uh, why, why was everyone so upset? A, was the music too electric? B, was the sound terrible? C, was the set too short at about two and a half songs? <laughs> or D, Judas, Judas. Well, clearly, Judas. <laughs> D, Judas. He betrayed us all, Jake. I know, I know. <laughs> he killed folk music with his with a with a musical instrument. Mm-hmm. And a nice idea. What Judas led people to killing the savior of the world. <laughs> the same thing. Exactly the same thing. Exactly. It's just as important. Exactly the no same doubt. level of importance here, clearly. Uh, so during during this um, during this, you know, let's not mince words, just like musical performance that happened one time for like seventeen minutes or less. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of booing, there was a lot of clapping. And there was a truly stupid amount of apocryphal nonsense that was happening all around. So <laughs> one of them is that Pete Seeger grabbed an axe and he was going to cut. He was going to cut the cords. Uh, people were passing out. Um, there's somebody. Somebody like maybe Pete Seeger's dad was still around and like his hearing aids were blaring. And so <laughs> somebody just wanted to turn it down. The, the sound was. You know, I don't think this was apocryphal. Like the sound was awful. They weren't prepared for. You know, an outpouring of electric music. This was all, you know, acoustic guitars and harmonicas and, and banjos. You know, you can play the banjo. Sure, a little bit. sure. You're, you're Pete Seeger, so you. you I mean, I can play the banjo like nobody's business. Yeah, and so he, uh, he played. He played two. He played about two and a half electric songs, including an unfinished one. And then he left because everyone was having a heart attack, and he's like, oh, "Well, <laughs> I guess I should go." And then uh, Pete Yarrow um, of Peter Paul and Mary who was kind of the OMC of the event, he, he, he went back and he begged Dylan, like, you've got to go back out. They're ha- you know, people are having a conniption outside. Like, can you go back and play a couple more songs? So he very reluctantly took an acoustic guitar and went and, uh, and he played a few more songs to kind of soothe the, soothe the, 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 the riot that he had caused. The soccer riot. That was yeah, and everyone immediately, and this is going to be a theme later, um, everyone immediately calmed down and they were like, oh, this is, this is great. <laughs> He's back. I this is putting my kids to bed. <laughs> Yeah, just get Bob Dylan circa 1964 and 5 to come in and wow your children to sleep. (laughs) Ah. Rile them up with the first side of Brianna. Judas. Call them right back down with the second side. Judas. So he (laughs) left, he left the, the, the old Newport Folk Festival feeling like I hate I hate I hate my fans <laughs> I, hate I don't yeah. know what's, I don't know what's happening this is and ridiculous. then he woke up this morning <laughs> still hates his fans <laughs> <laughs> nothing changed um so so he went off and he was very bummed out um he had a he had a tour coming up um he wanted to record another album but he didn't he didn't know what to what to put on the album and he this is when he thought about quitting music and he told everybody so 
But then she has a magical night happened. A magical... A magical a night? magical set of hours or days. Who knows, you know? But Bob Dylan sat Bob down... Bob does. He, well, he probably doesn't remember exactly how long it was. Sure. We're going to call it 14 hours, okay? You get, yeah. yourself, you get yourself a, a three, four packs of unfiltered cigarettes, okay? Yep. You put those on the desk next to you, next to your typewriter. Yep. Ashtray optional. But I recommend one because you're going to be smoking a lot of cigarettes. You get three, four bottles of red wine, maybe some, uh -huh. maybe some, maybe some joints uh, full of marijuana, um, <laughs> maybe some amphetamines. You know, just line them up there. Doesn't have to be in any particular order. But you just sit down and you and you get and you get loaded and mad, and you type furiously a 12, 10 to twenty page song poem. That would end up being the song "Like a Rolling Stone." Whoa! That's what you do when you get mad about life. You write the greatest rock right. song of all time. <laughs> he, uh, the the manuscript ended up selling. Now, some people say ten and some twenty. The manuscript sold, so I have no idea why this isn't like a fact. Like how how right. long is it? Uh, it sold for like two point eight million dollars or something like that. The original, his his big old long, wow, you know, pion peen pion. How do you say that word? Ode. Anyway, uh, he, <laughs> I don't he, know what word you're he, to say, he, right? It started out as as being in like a three four time, um, kind of a waltz kind of a thing. He played it on the piano. This is all on the cutting edge box set from twenty fifteen. Yeah. Yep. Um, there's a whole disc dedicated to Lake Rolling Stone. Oh, that's right. I remember that. And part remember of it that. is the original demos and such like that. He winnowed down this this crazy thing to uh, four verses, no chorus, still clocking in at over six minutes. Went into the went into the recording studio. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of you know apocryphal stuff that happened there too. But he worked it out with the band. They were there for one thing and one thing only, Chaz, to make the greatest rock song of all time. Of all, all time. time, number one everywhere with a bullet, um, and uh, and they did it, they made it. Now you're not going to believe this, but the record company didn't want to put it out. They're like, this is not like the Rolling Stone. Song. <laughs> yeah, they said it was too long. There's no chorus. This isn't catchy. It's not folk music. Nobody knows what you're doing, etc., etc., etc. Bob Dylan had a little bit of sway at that point. Um, so they put it out, and it immediately became an absolute smash hit. Uh, it was number two on the Billboard charts. Almost his first number one single. We all know what his first number one single is. That's Murder Most Foul, which came out this year. <laughs> that <laughs> song is 17 minutes long. Not hey, we should minutes. mention really quick that uh, Bowie with Mick Ronson covered like Rolling Stone. Yeah. How'd that it's Mick go? Ronson with Bowie, actually. It was Mick Ronson on its last album, his posthumous final album. How was it? I don't remember. I listened to it a long time ago. Okay. It All probably right. wasn't that great, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, mix involved, so, you know, he, he did a, he, he tried. He gave it a, he uh -huh. gave it a good effort. Um, and in the, no, wait a second here. I had one more little fun thing about when that came out. When did it come out? I apologize, everyone. I'm actually checking my notes right now. I have a I have a lot of notes. My memory says that it was the single came out 
No, I think that was I think that was the actual. I think that was the actual album. Okay, um, he releases that, and he releases the album in conjunction with that Highway sixty one revisited. Ever heard of that? Hey, there's one one of the two Dylan albums that I own. There it is, and the other one is Bringing It yeah. All Back Home. No, you have Blonde on no, it's Blonde. Bl- it's Blonde on Blonde. Yeah, you should get Bringing It All Back Home. Complete the set. Yeah, we'll see. Jeez, man, jeez, <laughs> cheese and crackers. <laughs> Cheese and crackers. All right. Um, this is one of the most famous rock albums ever. We'll just we'll just say it like that. It's like yeah, it is. You know, it's like number. It is. It's number twelve on Rolling Stone's current greatest five hundred greatest albums. You know, it's in the top five other places. Like Rolling Stone is generally number one on the songs list. Um, but highway 61, um, whereas bringing it all back home was, you know, definitely, definitely a good dip in the waters of electric music, like a Uh good, you know, not just a toe, but like definitely you get past that point when you wade in and it like gets to your belly button. You're like, ah, this is really cold, (laughs) but it didn't go much, Uh didn't go much Uh farther than that. Highway 61 61 gets on a diving board and jumps right into the middle of the ocean. Splash. Rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> it was a uh, it was a it was a novel combination at the time of driving blues based music combined with the subtlety of poetry, and that you know may or may not have mirrored the cultural chaos that was going on in the U.S. A lot of things have been written, you know, about about like uh, about Highway sixty one and the sort of mirroring society and stuff like that. I mean, I wouldn't know. I wasn't there, but. I think it meant a little bit more than just being a, a, a great album. Um, it's very much a blues album. Um, and uh, it's just, it's all rock. It's all rock. Before recording this, he was drained. And he had a lot of baggage and expectations. And he, he did the first, this is probably the first time that he just went all out. This is what I'm doing. Deal with it. There were no... It's been crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and he said about, I, I mentioned this earlier, but he said uh, before he recorded this, he said, I was going to quit singing. I was very drained. It's very tiring having other people tell you how much they love you if you don't dig yourself. Oh, Bob. I know. You, Bob was bummed out, man. Do you need a hug? Bob, 1965 Bob. He did. I, he did. What do you need I to, give you a hug? What he needed to do is three or four packs of unfiltered cigarettes and <laughs> a type Well, of that happened. That happened. So. Uh, he called. He but called, did anyone give Bob a hug that year? I don't know. I mean, I Joan, Joan was right there. She tried. I tell you that much. She tried. She was he like, pushed her away. Making, Bob. making oh, Bob. little kiss, kissy faces. And he was like, uh, oh, Bob. This is too much. I know. Bob was, Bob was mean to her. He really he was. 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 Shouldn't have invited her on that tour. Shouldn't have done it. She had to leave. Shouldn't have done a lot of things, Bob. <laughs> yeah, you should have wrote like a Rolling Stone, though. Did that. Well, sure, but other stuff, no. No, not like that. Uh, the album's uh, Highway 61 is, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of you know, lyrics on here. It is a Bob Dylan album, after all. But uh, very surrealist. <laughs> I remember. Surrealist, I remember. absurdist, cynical, snarling, <laughs> impressionistic, uh, allegorical, intense. Direct, raucous, ribald. Just fill in some more words if you want to. I will. There it is. What do you think of this album? It's good. I like it. I listen to it sometimes. Yeah, you do. You just put it on sometimes. Every once in a while, yeah. Okay. 
Well, thank you for your contribution. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is, Jake. I, I know. This means a lot to you, but it does not mean as much to me. No, I, I, was just, I like it. No, I, I was just it. wondering. I like it. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you had I any. If I you like had it. any extra, if you had any extra thought about about the about the material, you know, like the lyrics or anything. It's fine if you don't. Well, okay. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. I'm glad we spent the last 63 billion hours together doing this podcast. <laughs> All right. Uh, so you know, uh, just just to give it a little. A little extra, a little extra mustard on here. Uh, I was reading something about how, uh, so this is another Beatles-Dylan uh, kind of combination here. So along with Rubber Soul, which was the, the Beatles album, one of them from 1965 following Help, um, gave kind of a literary and nerdiness to rock music where it really didn't have that before. So one of the yeah, reasons one bet. of the reasons that Columbia didn't want to release like a Rolling Stone as a single was too like, nerdy. They're picturing it's Bob too with nerdy. like there's, there's, it's taped not... up glasses, you know, like pushed up. <laughs> like yeah. the Rolling Stone guys, like the Rolling Stone. He's got toilet paper stuck to his shoe, and Did you know, some jock comes around and yeah. spikes a football in his groin. That's exactly what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what they were Mick, thinking. Mick Jagger is that jerk, is that uh, jock. <laughs> Mick Jagger's like, let's spend the night together. <laughs> it spikes of football in his groin. Yeah, right. Dylan would have. Dylan's like five foot two, but he would he would have knocked Mick Jagger right out <laughs> with his electric music. <laughs> Boom. Uh, so along with Rubber Soul, the the these two now Dylan's Dylan's came first. Not that that I mean I'm sure the Beatles were recording Rubber Soul, but there was there was definitely like a, a kind of a give and take, a kind of back and forth between the two. They definitely elevated each other, um, and uh, these albums were you know way ahead of their time. They were really was nothing like it at the time. So way to go, Bob, for Good. releasing one of the greatest albums of all time. Way to go. Way well to done. go. All right, next up. He nice, goes, nice one. He goes uh, for the rest of the year. This is just a bu- this is just a busy year. He basically toured the entire year, stopped just long enough to record two incredible albums and a bunch of singles, um, and go to the and go to the Newport Folk Festival and et cetera, et cetera. So he embarks on a on a tour from uh, August twenty eighth through December nineteenth. This uh, he introduces the. Uh, acoustic first half of the concert followed by he goes backstage takes some amphetamines grabs the band who aren't the band yet brings them all back out and then they do an so electric he mixes show. it up well, he reverses bringing it all back home he reverses it right so I guess the yeah. first archetype was electric then acoustic but then he so maybe it, this is what he, he learned was that you gotta like get the, get the uh, crowd all warmed up and on your side and then right blow them up that's right and then blow them up yeah and the most famous concert from this from this stretch definitely was the first one, which was at Forest Hills um, in New York. So nobody knew what was coming. They just thought, hey, I know Bob Dylan. And then Bob Dylan was stepping it up. He was now in, like, baseball stadiums or something. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was arenas. Mm-hmm. Did they have arenas? Yeah, they had arenas back then. Anyway, he's done with the folky clubs and the 2,000-seat, you know, little amphitheaters that he was playing. He's now yeah, yeah. a rock and roll uh, artist and he's out there. He's playing some big ones, um, so he's at this big place. Uh, apparently, the audience was hypnotized and mesmerized by the acoustic. Mm. Oh, 
Bowls. He did his little thing where he hypnotized you with his acoustic music. That's right. And then you're mm-hmm. on board. They're stuck in your seat for the... And then they politely like clapped, that. I'm sure, and they looked at each other like, yeah, man, Dylan, man. And then he went back... What a, what a well-mannered young man. <laughs> wow. I can what a really... polite... I bet... I bet he phones his mother. He he writes things that I can think about sometimes. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, he goes backstage, pops a greenie or whatever the drugs were called, gets <laughs> grabs the band and Al Cooper. Greenie thing? Audience. I don't think I've heard that one. Uh, greenies were in baseball, and I, I think they were they were they were an upper. So I assume that mm. you know whatever uh, whatever the baseball players were taking, the rock and rollers <laughs> took first. I would imagine. I don't know. <laughs> This is completely this is completely unfounded. Loose, you know, some <laughs> getting loose. That means some amps, <laughs> some ampers. <laughs> getting on the horse, the hog. The horse the is white, heroin. The white I lightning. Was, I don't think that was. I don't think that's what that was. Goofballs, <laughs> nutty bars. I'm just making stuff up now. <laughs> uh, and. <laughs> He comes back out and he starts playing his rock and electric set, and everyone is, you guessed it, outraged. Oh, yeah. Outraged. Ah, they say. Ah, how many, Jake? The real question we all want to know how many pearls were clutched? <laughs> so many pearls. And the the thing answer is, all of them. All the pearls were clutched. <laughs> all those young people took their mothers and grandmothers' monocles, pearls. Monocles popping out of people's <laughs> eyes, gentlemen's <laughs> eyes, left and right, hitting the women who are clutching their pearls. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have a new term for you. You don't have to say Judas anymore, because Judas actually didn't happen yet. Um, metaphorically, of course, it's happening. But there was a lot of booing, um, and, the, and the, the prevailing term, I guess, on this night anyway, was scumbag. People were yelling scumbag. 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 Oh, that sounds seedy. Scumbag. Like a bag of scum. Hey. Scumbag. A bag of scum named Bob Dylan. <laughs> One of our favorite artists. You we just took a bag, we filled it up with some scum, <laughs> and we put him on stage. <laughs> right. And played a bunch of noise. Yeah, well, not when he was doing the acoustic part, though. He was nope, great. No, that then. was when Bob was replaced by a bag full of scum. That, <laughs> that was 10 minutes ago. <laughs> 10 whole minutes ago. Um, and then the best chant from from the uh, from the smart Alex was "We want Dylan" while he was still playing. So they were, no. they were screaming, "We want Dylan." That's actually pretty good. That's pretty good. Now here's here's where they were here's where they were exposed. This is this is by far the funniest part. So they're just there's wailing, there's gnashing of teeth. Uh, the aforementioned pearls were being clutched, uh-huh. et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. He rips into like a Rolling Stone, uh, which was a huge hit in the U.S., and everyone stops booing and starts singing along and clapping. <laughs> and then when he's done with that uh, song, what tools? What a bunch of tools! And then when he's done with that song, they start booing him again. So you just you can't you can't you can't feel a lot of uh, sympathy for those guys. I mean, not that you probably no. did already, but I didn't. Nope, I you didn't. didn't. Yeah, a, a definite dearth of sympathy was happening. Um, and you know here, so I thought maybe because he he toured throughout December. Um, I thought maybe this sort of animosity continued throughout that, and then he t- he took all that animosity to England, um, where all mm-hmm. the, where all the actual Judas stuff happened. But apparently, the booing had more or less died down by like September third at the Hollywood Bowl because okay. he was a big star. He was like a pop star. This is the first time he was a big star, and you know, cool people love you cool. at first when you're a pop star. Yeah. 
Um, you know, all of which kind of propelled him into the next year when he would uh, when he would do the blonde on blonde thing. He would uh, he would tour England, uh, get called Judas, um, and then crash his motorbike. So this is like the this is the expressway to 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 the next year um, and everything. But this is his absolute this is absolute height. It's one of the height. It's one of the highest rock star years ever, probably. Yeah. Especially for a solo act, he was a he was a big deal. It's like Bowie in '72 or three or whatever his rock rock stariest year was. Yeah, probably '72, '73. '72, '73. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and I'll talk more about the albums a little bit in points. I assume that you'll have you know so much to say for points. I really want to throw it I back to you. I got a little talk to about here, Jake. Yeah, you know, don't, okay. Don't patronize me. Here, you know? <laughs> Wait, I already did, but go and ahead. And by extension, Davy Jones. Yeah, Davy. All right, well, we got two hot singles Woo! in 1965, Jake. Are they worth 10 apiece or what? Yeah, they are, as a matter of fact. Uh, funny you should mention that. They actually merit uh, 20 apiece. So, mm. always going to win. <laughs> Big time. Um, first one is a song called I Pity the Fool. I Pity long, the Fool. Long before Mr. T was a thing. Oh, man. Song, it's a cover. The song was originally by Bobby Bland. Yes. Terrible rock star name. Really? He's not a rock star, though. Bobby Bland. No, terrible whatever he is. Name. Lounge act? I don't know. Bobby Bland. <laughs> pop, pop singer? Uh, this is by the Manish Boys and is credited notably to just the Manish Boys, which actually mm. was a, a bone of contention. It was supposed to be credited to Davy Jones and the Manish Boys. Uh, um, it helped, them, helped cause them to break up. <laughs> so whatever happened there. Uh, notably, the B-side is called Take My Tip and was the first Bowie-penned song ever released. Oh, excellent. Also, IP The Fool features some solid guitar work by a uh, little-known session guitarist by the name of, oh, I don't know, Jimmy Page. What? Jimmy Page? I was glad you were going to say Mick Ronson, but I knew that wasn't no, the answer. No, way before Mick Ronson. No. Now, Jimmy Page was a session musician at the time, yeah. and he plays guitar on the song. Yeah, okay. Way yeah. to go, Jimmy. It's come up before, but not for a long time. Did, so, he, uh, did, he, elevate the, did he elevate the material? Is he, you is know, he, is he hot? Yeah, I don't know. It's okay. fine. <laughs> uh, next up is uh, You've Got a Habit of Leaving Me by Davy Jones and Lower Third. Definitely a better song than the other. I'm, Bowie just like gets better and better with these early, early singles. Um, this is his first full-blown single written by Bowie. The B-side was also by him. Um, I'm getting points for both these at the same time because these aren't bad songs. Like they're not super memorable. Sure. These aren't like cringe-worthy, awful songs by any means. They are notable in how little they sound like David Bowie mm. to the point where my wife who's been subjected to <laughs> thousands of hours of David Bowie in our 12-year marriage. Yeah, against uh, her will, like, for 11,000 hours of those. You know, probably. <laughs> um, I was listening to these again just last night, the songs, and uh, all the stuff from 65. And uh, she asked me who it was, who I was listening to. Oh, there you go. So that should tell you a little something about how different this sounds than, yeah. than Bowie. It's just... And the, the Manish Boys one, it's a very formulaic kind of mixture, you know, R&B, like Stone-style R&B and Who-style mod music. and But it's not bad. Like, the guy could write a tune even then. Sure. And yeah. he had some level of talent. He's a decent singer, all that stuff. So 
in honor of that and where he was at his if he released these you know the 90s or something he'd be like what the heck is going on but at, when he's when you know when he's 18 years old and doing this stuff boom i'm giving each one a 0.5 wow for a total like they you know they deserve it so they do for a total do. of one big fat point in 1965 that's a big one you will recall is better than no points. <laughs> it is, and I, I believe that Dylan and got no points left. Much there. better than negative points. Yes, way better than that. I mean, uh, that yeah. much we can say. Like probably a little more qualitatively than quantitatively, but still, you can say that positive points are better than negative points. Shooter, uh-huh. shooter, shooter hands. Boom, boom, shooter. boom. Shooter, give you, shooter. All right. Well, how about? Oh wait, are you done? Yeah, I'm done. Oh, cool. <laughs> he also played like, you know, 100 shows, but, and that's not notable. <laughs> that's not. It's that. all young, straight gigging bands, you know. Oh, probably straight gigging, yeah. The average of three or four songs per whatever it was they managed to get themselves booked, that's right. you know, managed to play for a little yeah. while. Dylan straight gigged for like seven months or something in 1961. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, all right, so let's get started here with uh, the old Bob Dylan point point machine. So we'll just start with the tour, which started in uh, which started in January and ended in December. Like that's that's a lot. Um, it was it was only quote unquote seventy two shows, um, and at the time that's what you did. If you had an album, you just yeah. you just toured, and then you stopped for a couple of days, and you recorded another album, and then you kept touring. Um, however, these were like which ironically is what Bob does now. That's exactly what he does now. Only <laughs> way more shows somehow than seventy-two. <laughs> uh, he did. He did go to England and back. Uh, and um, these are like high stress. You know, some of the most, including the Newport Folk Festival, like some of the most famous rock shows ever. Um, obviously, we'll give him uh, the full point for the tour that year. Um, let's do. Let's do a couple. Let's do a couple albums. Let's do bringing it all back home. Remember yeah, what, let's do it. Remember what date that came out on? The most important uh, date. March twenty second. Whoa, that's really impressive. Man, it's a week before my son's birthday. That's hard. <laughs> Way to go! All right, so that is uh, that's number one in the UK. It's number six in the US, and um, I, I pretty I pretty much discussed this one. The 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 the, the two things that I'll say is that musically. This is not his best album um, because there's two songs that are that are pretty like they just aren't tough tough to snuff, you know. And when we're talking like super classic albums, you start to get yeah. a little, you get start to get a little nitpicky. So like I don't particularly you know love the Outlaw Blues, and then um, these two songs are actually back to back. And one of one of my least favorite Bob Dylan songs from this period, if not the least, is called "On the Road Again," which. You know, subsequent uh, on the road again. Yeah, no, not that one. Not a, it was another one of his Bob Dylan dream songs. He did a lot of these in his early <laughs> career. It was like Bob Dylan's hundred fifteenth dream is one. They all kind of share a talking blues. It's one of the last kind of talking, funny blues. Like there's a in this song and others. This is the last chance we get to see like little little vaudeville vaudeville Bob. Like the the little Bob enter, Bob. the little entertainer Bob who was up there, you know, a little huckster, you know, <laughs> making you laugh a little bit, like he 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 he. Yeah. So uh, this is it. Like obviously, Highway sixty one completely murders that forever. Um, but he's got a little bit left on there, and that's not my favorite Bob. And the song is uh, the song's terrible, and he really worked at it. He on uh, on the Cutting Edge box set, there's like four or five versions of the song that they tried to get right, and it never got right. But 
Whatever. Too bad. Not up to snuff. Um, I'll talk a little bit. I think this is a really cool album cover. And the only reason that I say that is because Bob Dylan never has cool album covers. <laughs> like, all of his cool oh, album yes, covers cool are only cool by association with a cool album. You know, here, right. here's looking at you, t- uh, Time Out of Mind, or um, Blood on the Tracks in particular, which is just like a pointless dot painting of his face. But, like, since the album is so rad the cover becomes iconic. But this cover, for bringing it all back home, is just straight up iconic. It's just nice. Um, It's got him kind of leaning forward on a chair holding his cat, um, who was named Rolling Stone, apparently. This apparently was before he wrote Like a Rolling Stone, but the cat was named Rolling Stone. Um, Sally Grossman, who was his manager's spouse, is sitting behind him looking very cool. Um, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. She looks really cool. Very cool. And uh, there's a bunch of paraphernalia and obscurish albums that are lying all around, um, including Bob Dylan's last two albums. There's a Time magazine with President Johnson. Um, and he's wearing the, the famous Joan Baez cufflinks, which she gave to him. Um, and she sings about in like two or three different songs. And he sings about them as well. <laughs> songs like these cufflinks. <laughs> yeah, like these cufflinks are really like, I don't know, symbolize you write, their... You should write a song about Bob Dylan's cufflinks. Hey, Bob Dylan's cufflinks. <laughs> uh, Jeff Tweedy wrote a song called Bob Dylan's Beard one time. But it's like Bob Dylan's 45th beard or something. Yeah, it's it is. Not, There's a number in there. Yeah, because I, I think he was growing it. Tweedy was growing that exact beard or something. Uh, uh, Daniel Kramer, who shot the cover. Um, believe it or not, Bob used to like go and get cover shoots for for things before they he just like picked his own face out of a lineup of pictures for his albums <laughs> uh daniel kramer he got nominated for a grammy for the cover art uh, hey did, well did not win but even even the font is cool he uses a similar font on highway 61 revisited as well both by daniel kramer i just love that font you don't see that font like very often so there's serif all over it. No, no sans serif here. This no. is this is super serif. No, it's not the like it's not the typewriter one. It's not anything obvious. Um, so there's I mean there's just I, I already mentioned all the songs. It's an absolute stone cold classic, except for a couple yeah. album uh, you know a couple fillers in there. So I'm going to give it a plus four point zero. Yeah, that's not his best album of the year, if you can believe that. Let's move on to Highway 61 Revisited. Now, my Which, pers- rumor has it, was his best album. <laughs> rumor has it uh, is in contention, like strong contention. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because I, for whatever reason, I've, you know, I've listened to both these albums, Bringing It All Back Home and Highway 61, um, so many times in my life. Like yeah. hundreds and hundreds of times between the two of them probably. And I think that they got a little bit, since I haven't listened to them closely, since I, you know, in a, in a while, since I, I started doing the research for this podcast. Uh, so, by the way, it's so much more fun to listen to a good Bob Dylan album than a bad one for the, <laughs> for the episode. It's been a nice change of pace. Is that, something, is that something you find as well? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Every once in a while, you feel like you're getting a string of years where all just, of this is bad Bowie albums. I just think that makes sense. That just makes sense. Um, I thought this song that I was ripping earlier called On the Road Again was on Highway 61 Revisited in my mind for some uh-huh. reason. And so I was prepared to be like, well, that's 
that's not a that's not a five pointer. That's not like one of his best albums ever because it has a dud on it. But it's not on there. And it turns out that there are no duds on Highway 6200 Oh, Highway 6200 Visitor. You magnificent bastard. (laughs) It's It's an absolute classic. Every song is the best song. All of them. And and I think and I think that a lot of people would put this ahead of Blonde on Blonde. I do not. I think Blonde on Blonde is just a little bit more cohesive. A little yeah. bit less like ramshackle, but uh, but Highway sixty one is just it's 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 up there. It's up there. Obviously, it has like a Rolling Stone, the Tombstone Blues, Ballad of a Thin Man, which I'll share with you uh, that I dissected as a spoken word essay for an English literature class in my sophomore year of high school. In high school, yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. We were supposed to. Uh, we were I supposed college. to. I think it was. I think it was for a song. Who's the Who's the teacher who we can't ever remember? The one that everyone thought was so mean, but she was actually a really good teacher. She oh, was. Yeah. She was kind of mean, but yeah, she was great though. She was, and I, she. Had I a, can't think of her name. I know who you're talking about. She was, you know, what in her sixties or seventies at the at the least, right? I was probably sixties, probably sixties. Yeah. But anyway, she had she had pictures of poets and 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 artists and. Uh, uh, and and authors on her wall, and Bob Dylan was on her wall. So I walked into her class. Oh, and I was like, "This is awesome." Gained a little more, gained a little more respect for her right yeah, there. Way to go! <laughs> Whose name? Of course, we can't remember her name. Like, never can. Right? It's terrible. Well, she's probably, you know, she's, she's old like, enough. She's probably she's probably passed away by now. She may have. Yeah, I mean, that was what year was that? Twenty five. Twenty five years ago. Well, yeah. Twenty five yeah. years ago. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, so Ballad of the Thin Man. Highway 61 Revisited, the song. Does Bella the Thin Man have anything to do with the Dashiell Hammett book and the, the Thin Man and the movies starring Myrna Loy and William Powell? Mm. I love those movies. Not that I know, but, I mean, Bob was Bob was drawing illusions from all all manner of things, so maybe. <laughs> maybe. It's, that's the one well, that's... Well, I'm just uh, going to recommend... I'm going to recommend everybody watch the movie The Thin Man. Go for it. Great. Great. Go for it, guys. And then listen to the song. Five sequels. Each one's is there five, uh, either five or six movies total. Each one is solid, but each one's like a step down from the one before. And then uh, listen Start, to the, starts at the top. Listen to the song Ballad of a Thin Man and then write us a yeah. spoken word essay comparing And then go the right, read the original Dashiell Hammett book, The Thin Man, that sure. inspired them. That's right. And then listen to the you song. Got nothing, you got nothing else to do for the next few days. <laughs> Come on. We all know it. Come we on. all know it. Get into it. Uh, we expect that on uh, we expect that on Monday. Yeah, yep. Have that on our desk. Add it into our teacher who we can't remember. His name <laughs> oh, I feel so bad. She looks like I know. She was like an actual like, influence I can, I on my life. She's, she's in my brain. Oh yeah, I can see her face clearly. I had her for journalism class. Mm. She was too. No, actually, I didn't. I she, didn't. That was that was somebody different. Never mind. I had her for some class. I don't remember. Probably advanced grammar. She was too intelligent, and she had like too many actual expectations for her students to be liked. <laughs> be liked. <laughs> right. Not to be liked. Body at large. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. I remember one of the kids did like, I don't know what it was. It was some sort of like gangster rap song or something. <laughs> Everyone was uncomfortable. We didn't like it. Uh, okay. So, uh, Gosh, what else? I mean, the the last song is Desolation Row, which is an eleven minute song. This is one of his first, like, real, real long, real long daddies. Mm-hmm. It's a grotesque, surrealist, 
Take what not as long as Murder Most Foul, Jake. Let's let's be aware. No, of that. not even barely half as long as Murder Most Foul. <laughs> Clocking in at eleven <laughs> minutes. Uh, and you know, as with so many Dylan songs, it speaks to us today. So one of the one of the verses that popped out at me when I was listening to it was uh, um, something about the passengers on the Titanic were shouting, "Which side are you on?" And uh, which kind of satirizes our our political commitment problem that we have these days. Um, and the cover, I always thought this was a disappointing cover for the album there. <clears throat> it just, it's a picture of him sitting on a stoop. He's like holding something. There's somebody in the background with a camera, but you can't see the guy's face. It's just the camera dangling there. And I always just, I assumed that this was just a picture randomly taken, like while they were recording the album or something. Yeah. He's wearing a Triumph motorcycle t-shirt. Yeah, I always assumed that too. And he's just like kind of looking funny uh and it's this is by the same the same cover artist uh somebody kramer george kramer or something doesn't matter um and kramer seemed to think there was something to it he's quote he says dylan's hostile or it's like a hostile moodiness he's almost challenging me or you or whoever's looking at it like what are you gonna do about it buster And I quote. mean, he does have, he does have that look on his face. <laughs> like, what are you going to do looking about at, a buster? I'm looking at it right now, and yeah, it's definitely a what are you going to do about a buster? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. so maybe there's more to it. Uh, yeah. the, the, the thing that I didn't mention about Bob Dylan's year in 65 is he gave an absolute, like, book-worthy. There's been books and documentaries done about all the interviews and press conferences that he did, which got increasingly arcane and hostile as the year hostile yep yeah and people would you would you describe them as what are you gonna do about it buddy yeah and dylan's becoming like openly antagonistic and he's just smoking and uh just being a just being a real d to everybody but the questions are are stupid you know it was like he had just released like like a rolling stone and everyone's like so how does it feel to be the leader of the protest folk movement He's like, how did it feel for you? I mean, he's got a whole, he's got just these great, he was so sharp that year before he kind of, he kind of got burnt out, but he was so funny. Like this is the BVD award for sure for the funniest Bob Dylan has ever been. He was an absolute, he was an absolute riot. So cutting, so wry, like just, just giving it to these people. And one of these poor kids in like San Francisco or something, he stands up and he's like, uh, if you don't mind, Mr. Dillon, I'd just like to ask you if, you know, what, what is it, what does it mean that you're wearing the t- the T-shirt uh, with the motorcycle on it on on the on the cover of Highway 61 Revisited? You could tell this kid's like in college; he's very like uh-huh. nervous and stuff. And Bob Dylan's like, "What do you mean? It doesn't mean anything. I was just wearing that T-shirt that day. Why why would that mean anything to anybody?" And the kid was like, "Well, it means something to me." <laughs> so every time I look at the cover of Highway 61 Revisited, I think of this poor kid, like just try to uh-huh. try to get a straight answer, you know, from uh, from Crooked Bob Dylan. He couldn't. He couldn't. Something, I think it. something about the voice you just used in my head when you were describing it. I pictured the guy as a muppet. I just want you to know that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Dylan, I would just like to ask you now. Okay, I think that's everything about Highway 61. So I, I, you know, the reason that I bring up the whole thing about how I thought that song was on there, but then it wasn't, is uh, 
is uh, I, I told everyone, and I, it turned out I was a liar. I told everyone that um, I think it was Blood on the Tracks was the last album I said was going to be a five pointer because I thought yeah. I thought Highway sixty one was like a four point five er, but it's it's kind of perfect. It's kind of it's kind of the best, almost the best. Yeah. So I got to give it a five, and I apologize to all the odds makers out there who were betting on whether <laughs> on the you know misleading information. But I'm sorry, it's a plus five. It's it's an absolute it's an absolute classic. Um, now, just to bore you to death, and this is um, yep, yeah, because this is your time. I know. I'm. St- I, I'm having a. I'm no, having a heck shine of a- on, shine on, you crazy diamond. <laughs> I'm having on. a real great time right now. Bob Dylan, humdinger of a time. I'm just a real nice day for me. Uh, we got one, two, three, four, five, six singles came out in six 19- singles. Six Good. singles, and some of Creamy. some of them are among the handful of the Bob Dylan's best songs ever, or at least the most Ooh. important. So we got this is what's going to put him over the top in terms of points. Like, if you'll notice. <laughs> Because he's just barely being Bowie now. No, but I mean, like between <laughs> our best years, if we're gonna, okay, if we're gonna have that kind of competition. Uh, so if you'll notice, I think I looked back, and in your best year, he had two albums, and one of them got a four, and one of them got a five, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. So that just happened with with Dylan and and, uh, and Bowie's tour or whatever. I don't remember what happened with that, but this is this is where it all this is all uh, where where it comes comes uh, comes crashing down because. Uh, the first single he released in 1965, or Columbia did, was The Times They Are Changing from uh, the uh. 1964 album uh, uh, The Times They Are Changing. That yeah. is in the history books, that song. That's like taught amongst civil rights, you know. I mean, they should teach more about civil rights altogether. But the the little they do teach in, in normal high school and colleges and stuff like that is... That song was part of it, so I can't I can't not but give that a plus two. It's like a historical, yeah. Um, it's kind of a All historical right. artifact. Okay, next up is Maggie's Farm. You ain't gonna work on Maggie's Farm no more, you mm. you old you old folk protesters. Yeah, hey, quit Pete putting Seeger. me in a, quit putting me in a cage, Pete. When I'm working on your farm, great song, really actually funny. Um, I never took it as a metaphor because I'm not smart enough, or I wasn't then. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, d- I did, I did it. Tell us more about how that's how that's smart. <laughs> uh, just you know, part. allegories, that kind of thing. You know, it's just like get him off the farm. He doesn't want to work there anymore. That's it. He's tired. Get him off the farm. Anyway, that's a plus one. It's a rock song. Sounds like Bo Diddley. Uh, next up, Subterranean. Homesick Blues. Did I tell? Did I ask you if this was a plus tour? I don't remember. I think I did, and I think you said yes. Uh, it uh, it only suffers. It's just one of the. It's it's such a banger of an opening. It it opens the album, uh, bringing it all back home. It's such a great album opener. It's such a great statement uh, to make at that time. Um, some people, some idiots say that it's the first rap song. That is not, that is not accurate at all. <laughs> Stop it. Stop trying to make Bob Dylan the first rapper. <laughs> uh-huh. Not a thing. Uh, the, the, the lyrics are, you know, they're more kind of spoken, you know, rapid fire, um, all on one note, basically. Um, 
and just kind of the as a blast of uh, a blast of really really fun surrealism. So I got to give that a plus two as well. He also made a video of it that's pretty classic too. He has his placards and he drops the he drops the placards as the song is going. Allen Ginsberg's hanging around the back of that one as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Came in on a golf cart. Allen Ginsberg. <laughs> uh, next is a song that we have discussed in in great detail, like a rolling stone. Boom. That's a plus two. I don't think I have to explain that. No, you don't have to. All right. And then an interesting song that you may not know, Positively 4th Street. It was not on an album. It was a, it was a single only. It followed like a Rolling Stone. Um, another allegory about him escaping his, uh, escaping his critics and his former fans and his former buddies in New York who they were all yeah. in this, supposedly all in this folk thing together. And then as soon as Bob Dylan wanted to do something slightly different, you know, they canned him and, and gave him a hard time. That's the one that starts, uh, You've got a lot of nerve to say you are my friend. Oh, hey, yeah, beep, I'm right. Beep, 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 beep. You can become an organ player. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. Like Al Cooper. Uh-huh. Great song. Uh, that's a plus one. Uh, and then the last one was by far the worst of the bunch and it's not a bad song but it's called can you please crawl out your window this was supposedly the this was supposed to be another banging follow-up to like a rolling stone and positively fourth street he was he was on a bit of a roll and this was his last single of the year and it's just it's fine it's a little more it's a little more goofy you know it doesn't deal with such weighty uh, you know, weighty subjects as as the as the previous two. It's just like uh, it's just fine. It's kind of in the same style, same vein as the as the previous two songs. There's some organ on there, some electric guitar, et cetera, et cetera. That having been said, it's not a bad song. So that's a plus point five. That's the worst. That's the worst thing he could do for the entire year. Was a point five. Was a point five. Yeah, and that then those two bad songs on. Or those two not that great songs on bringing it all back home. Yeah. So if he had somehow managed to put out Blonde on Blonde in the year 1965 as well, which he ended up put, <laughs> he put out like uh-huh. April of next year or something. Like it wasn't too right. long after all of this happened. I think that would have been like the best year anyone's ever had. Maybe. It's up there anyway. He, it's up there he, anyway. You haven't, you haven't you added up the points, but he, he beat Bowie in 77. You can't, do, you can't do a lot more than this. He could have released another couple of classic singles, I guess. Come on, Bob. Get it together. All right. So that's going to be... What does this add up to? I, ha- I thought I had added it up. 9, 11, 12, 14, 16... 17. That's an 18.5, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Bowie 77 is 15.5, which is okay. outrageous. Well, both 18.5. Are, both are outrageous. He's buoyed up, by the, buoyed up by the six singles. Yeah, it's all the singles. And the, and the tour. And because they're Bowie classics. Only, Bowie only, only had three tours, or only had three singles, and only two of them were classic songs. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so... I mean, I don't know what to say. It's uh, it feels it feels sweet. Feels sweet as if I have something to do with Bob Dylan's success in 1965. Yeah, you do, Jake. <laughs> I do. I do. I take a I take a point point zero one percent share. 
of that success. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a little. By sharing, by sharing it with all the people at home and with me. Yeah, yeah. Was that a regalement? Would you call that a a proper regalement? I was, re- I was regaled. Oh, good. Good. You look regaled. <laughs> I feel regaled. <laughs> I think your beard grew a little bit more while while I was regaling you. <laughs> I think go. you're right. <laughs> Way to go. Okay, well, folks, that is that is it. That is it for 1965. That's it for both Chaz and my my, as if we have something to do with it. Bowie and Dylan's best years. It turned out I know. It they was were so by far fun. the best years. I was oh, yes. Worried. We figured they would be, and they were. And they were, yeah, by far. They're both double album years. I mean, that makes it a little double, easier, too. Double classic double, album Double years. classic album years in right. the midst of their, like, best period. With, yeah. like, two-point singles scattered throughout. Right, right. Well, I only had one in mine, you know. Well. Sound and, Vi- Sound and Vision was debatable, but I went with one. Jokes, anyway. Jokes on you. Jokes on you. <laughs> well, I still would have lost. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Nobody lost here, Jake. Everybody I know. wins. That's how I feel. In Bowie's 77 and Dylan's 65. That's how I feel. Everybody wins. Yeah. There and are now, no losers. And now I'm going to get laryngitis from talking about Bob Dylan for... That's okay. What a, what a way to go. That's right. You bang! Know? It's the bang. If you're going to go, go out big. That's what we did. So... Sharp, our, uh, your dedicated listeners will realize there's one year left yeah. between 1964 and 2019. We're not done 2020 yet because it's not over yet, and we got to wait till it's over, and then we'll probably we, do it. We will. That's a guarantee. So I don't know if I'm even going to should we say the year, Jake, or should we just leave it as a surprise for the last couple? So people can just scrounge through our archives and try to figure out which they could do year. that uh if there's some way between the release of this episode and the release of the secret episode extreme air quotes secret uh that people could email us with the correct year why we'll <laughs> we'll give you a shout out on that on that episode no we won't yeah we will we're, we're gonna record it before this is done we'll we'll add it in at the beginning it's a sweepstakes we're co- okay all right there you go we're going to record the next episode before this episode is posted. But, yeah. yes, we'll record well after a little spot <laughs> yeah. for you and yours. So if you somehow made it through an hour and 15 minutes. As it minutes, comes down. A lot of Bowie fans are like, I'm out on this on this current oh, episode. Oh, yeah. They, they left don't. after the first 15. They did. As soon as Bowie's changed, name was changed to Bowie, they were like, oh, <laughs> I gotta go. Like, there. That's it. I did it. Sounds good. <laughs> Yeah, this is a sweepstakes that won't work, but we're going to do it anyway. Whatever, we'll have fun. Probably no one will be shouted out at the beginning of the next episode. Don't get your hopes up. We might shout out people anyway. Who cares? (laughs) Who cares? It's a party. We'll make up some names. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And uh, the first person to come in is Charlie Beck. Oh, Charlie. (laughs) And the second one was... Robert Zimmerman. Robert Zimmerman. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> that sounds familiar. Hey, everybody. It's been a pleasure. Sure has. Pleasure, always. Hey, I'm Charlie, and I like Jones. I'm Jake, and I love Dylan.